0: Why is fiber so important for gut health? What's the process or the need?
1: Oh, yeah. So if you think back to um, what I presented about the hatza in Tanzania and how much fiber they eat, they're eating up to 50 grams of fiber a day, whereas the Western diet is devoid of fiber, mostly because of all the processing of the food. But the importance of fiber is that it's our way of communicating with the gut microbiome. So fibers are basically carbohydrates. They're short-chain carbohydrates that are not able to be digested by our own enzymes. So they bypass digestion in the stomach and the small intestine. They go to the large intestine where they become food for the gut microbiome. And they become a fuel for them. And as a result, what they do is they transform those fibers into what we call short-chain fatty acids. So things like butyrate, propionate, and acetate. But out of those three, the most important one is butyrate because butyrate, um, it it serves several roles. Butyrate is the primary energy source for the cells that line the colon. So butyrate helps keep your colon healthy and actually helps uh, lower the risk for colon cancer. But the remarkable thing about butyrate is that it crosses the gut barrier as well because it's a fatty acid, so it can go through the lipid membrane and it influences insulin sensitivity as well. So it it serves a role in blood sugar regulation, but I think the most remarkable thing about butyrate is that it crosses the blood-brain barrier, and it has an epigenetic effect in the brain that increases the production of what Max mentioned earlier, brain-derived neurotrophic factor. So butyrate from the gut helps you form memory and create new neural connections. So if you want a healthier brain, you need to eat more fiber.
0: So what are the biggest uh, things we can eat for fiber? Exactly.
1: Yeah, I mean, starting with leafy greens, and then like um, uh, Dr. Momo was talking about complex carbohydrates, and then the question is which ones are right for you based on your microbiome. But I mean, the the easiest way to start is uh, we're not eating enough greens. You know the average American eats about two to three servings of vegetables a day. A serving is about a cup. We should be getting eight to nine servings per day. So just even starting with that, increasing that. There's fiber in berries. Bananas have fiber. So really thinking about varying the diet and, like I mentioned, tubers. I mean, if you look throughout the world population, uh, mm-hmm. there's a lot of tubers. What's a, tuber? a tuber is <laughs> like a root vegetable. Sorry. Name some. <laughs> Tubers are like cassava, like um, sweet potatoes, yams, sweet potatoes. Yeah, exactly. So those are all tubers. And there's, they're all in this classification kind of like potatoes, but they're different. Uh, they've got, uh, potatoes are a lot of starch, not a lot of fiber. So tubers have a lot of fiber, not a lot of starch. What oh, what else <laughs> that we could get? Not as Greens. As well. Greens.
2: Actually, yes. yeah. wheat, wheat also has a lot of fibers. So yeah. just, just go look at the look at the different uh, look at the nutritional information. So wheat has fiber. Brown rice has fiber. And then uh, inulin, for example, is found in artichokes or, yeah. or uh, these are um, uh, Jerusalem Chick-ri- artichokes, roots. chicory roots. So psyllium, for example, is a great source of fiber. Inulin mm-hmm. is a fiber you can buy. You can buy it organic from Amazon. Just order it. And inulin is one of these fibers that we cannot, that inulin, I-N-U-L-I-N, and inulin. And can
0: have it in a pill?
2: You can, no, it's not a pill, it's just powder, and you add it to your, to your shakes, for example.
1: I will add a caution on that, because uh, inulin is a prebiotic, so it's another way of saying a fiber is a prebiotic. Prebiotics are what feeds the gut microbiome, but prebiotics can also lead to fermentation, and the byproduct is gas, right? So. If you and, go, and
2: SIBO as well.
1: Yeah, and it could lead to imbalances, so like a dysbiosis. So if, you, if you're going to add any prebiotic, like in a powder form, you can start with like a quarter teaspoon. You start really small testing, seeing what your body can tolerate. And if you start getting very bloated by taking a prebiotic supplement, then that might be a clue that you have a dysbiosis that needs to be dealt with.
2: Yeah. yeah so we are just listing general prebiotics. But not, not all of these are good for everyone. So
1: and what about But everyone green? should be eating greens. What about bea- mean, what I about beans? Beans. Yeah, that's a big question because you know there's all this stuff now about lectins yes. and so anti nutrients. But I just learned that Cuba is a blue zone, and in the you eat a lot of ancestral rice and beans. diet, there's uh, white rice and black beans. For sure. Uh, and there's, Same uh, in so, Brazil, where we But they we also live.
2: have a very different gut microbiome from Americans. So just because beans work for them doesn't mean they're going right. to work for us.
1: Exactly. Very mm-hmm.
2: agricultural country. Um, we're, we, we have an autism study right now. Um, cousins um, of Cubans who still live in Cuba, and, and their cousins who have immigrated to the United States, The cousins in the United States have 10 to 100 times greater incidence of autism. So genetically, they're essentially identical, but the lifestyle is different. And autism rates are massive in the United States. So very different lifestyle.
0: Um, Is a diverse microbiome what we're
2: after? I I, want to say something more about butyrate. Butyrate is is a great anti-inflammatory chemical, great anti-inflammatory. So if you have a normal digestion, normal gut microbiome, and eat a lot of fibers, and your gut microbiome is very happy because you're feeding it, essentially, it's sending the signal of butyrate to our immune system saying, it's all good here. You're fine. If butyrate is missing, your immune system freaks out and thinks something is wrong and mounts an inflammatory response. So that's one of the biggest effects we've observed,
1: anti-inflammatory. I actually use, sometimes uh, in patients who come in with uh, severely disordered uh, gut health and leaky gut, as I'm taking them through the healing process, I will put them on a butyrate supplement.
2: So unfortunately, butyrate supplement gets absorbed in the small intestine and gets processed by liver. So really, the colonic production of butyrate is what we've only observed as associated with lower inflammation. So instead of butyrate supplement, we definitely recommend something like inulin or a different kind of a fiber to feed the microbiome, if they have it. If they don't have the right microbiome, then
1: that's the last resort. In cases with ulcerative colitis, you can actually uh, do butyrate enemas. Right, right.
0: Butyrate
2: enemas.
1: Not not fun, probably. (laughs)
0: uh, Is a diverse microbiome what we are after? And can we reverse chronic disease by diversifying our gut microbiome? gut bacteria
2: i can take that my opinion yeah so definitely we need to have a diverse gut so that's why i said please go read about rewilding the gut and follow his uh, advice that he gave you it was number one i think diversify your gut um, so just think of the human body as we have evolved to depend on chemicals produced by our gut microbiome and these are hundreds or thousands of chemicals. And if you're missing microbes capable of producing those chemicals, like these short chain fatty acids and vitamins, you simply don't get that benefit. And so you have to have a diversity. But there's more to it because depending on who is inside your gut, you have to adjust your diet to feed those members of your gut and, so that they can produce those beneficial chemicals. So there's
0: And, and how parts. are we going to know what's in, which microbes are in our gut?
1: Well, you I mean, you, you have to, to do that. a test.
2: I mean, you have where, to do an electric test. Where are we going to get the test? Well, so I'm very biased, yes. uh, so I think our test is the best. But there are now companies offering these tests. Um, but, uh, but ours is the only functional gut microbiome test, which means that our test has the, is the only one that has a readout of what the mi- microbes are doing, not just who is there.
0: Oh, great, because that was <laughs> going to be my second question, is do, do, does an average microbiome test Tell which guts, which uh, microbes are overpopulated, and which ones are lacking. Yeah, it does. It does they, all a, of the An tests average will, test will yes. tell that, but your uh, viomes tests tell that it's uh, what the what the microbes are doing.
2: Well, if we don't actually we don't them? actually give that information to the customers. And honestly, I don't look at my test results. I look at my recommendations, and I follow my recommendations. You know, knowing that I have Escherichia coli in my gut microbiome. Um, is, you know, I know what that means because I've sort of developed this technology, but a common person will maybe read something bad about E. coli and they'll say, oh my God, I have E. coli. But E. coli, turns out there are strains of E. coli that help you absorb iron. You guys have heard about how some people just absorb poorly iron, right? That's not some magic. It's your gut microbiome has evolved to help you absorb iron. And Escherichia coli is known as a bad pathogen, and certainly there are strains of bad. E. coli, but there are also some that are very beneficial. So if you see E. coli in your test, there's nothing necessarily wrong about it. But again,
1: yeah. I will add something to that because I'm uh, uh, on, so this is biome is direct to consumer, and I'm on the, you know, uh, practitioner side. So I'm doing analysis on the microbiome that I can act upon based on dysbiosis, imbalances. So I used slightly different types of testing that give me information that for me is useful clinically. So it depends on what you're looking for.
0: Will that lead to, uh, uh,
1: sorry, uh, the uh,
0: precision nutrition? Will, will your recommendations be able to?
1: The biome is more on the, the line of that. Uh, what but you I'm, make food what recommendations? I'm, what I'm doing with patients, and yes, there is, um, I do work on diet, uh, but what I'm doing is reestablishing the balance in the gut microbiome when it's gone out of balance.
0: Well, that, that's my last question. Can we eat for a specific microbe, you know, addition or subtraction? Do, you know, what's interesting sense? is
1: that we talk, we talk a lot about eating. Uh, but there was a study that showed that fasting can also increase certain types of oh. microbes in the gut. Uh, the one I mentioned was Acromantia mucinophilia which in a lot of people, when it's low, it's associated with weight gain and obesity, right. and when it's high, it's actually associated with proper metabolic balance and balanced blood sugar levels.
0: So instead of eating four acrobans, you can fast well, and have gotta, it you've go. You've gotta
1: incorporate all of the recommendations, the time-restricted eating, and then eat the right foods or figure out what is the right template of the types of foods, because food is information. So you have to think of it when you're eating, you're actually eating for your microbiome. And how would you eat if it was uh, to eat for your microbiome so you can be the healthiest possible?
0: So those are my questions. Thank you for the answers. And uh, does our audience have some? I see it in the back, please. We will bring to you. We can, but I think the room is small enough that you can speak.
1: It's always good to test be done. Yeah, so the question
2: is how often should the microbiome test be done? Um, we recommend every three months and in fact soon we're going with a subscription model where that's going to be, be included in the subscription but every There's three. there's lots of people that they change their diet and they're super happy and they're like thank you very much See you later And so we probably won't hear from them until they get worse again, but the microbiome is changing continuously, because we are interacting with the environment. And especially if you take probi- uh, antibiotics, it'll severely change your microbiome, and then you have to change your diet
1: afterwards. I mean, it, it's, it's been shown in studies that a dietary change uh, results in a change in the microbiome within 24 to 48 hours.
0: Yeah, that is, that's really interesting. Right there, please. A quick question. If you're thinking systemically about feeding a family, how do you integrate Practices such as those you've spoken about when you might be feeding a family of five or seven?
1: I would say that you've got to start when they're young before they can develop bad habits. And you have (laughs) to expand their palate so wide that when it narrows when they're three years old that they still will keep pieces of this more expanded palate. So like for my son, we used to make a soup with onions, garlic, all sorts of vegetables in there Puree it, and he would drink it when he was still a toddler, but that expanded his palate. And then once he was eating, we incorporated salad. And now, as a 14-year-old, he shocks people when he goes out because he'll be the one kid with his friends who's asking, "Can I order a salad with dinner?" So you've got to start young, before their palate goes like that. And then maybe if they're older, just start, you know, maybe with a little bit of mindset training, like, "Hey, you're." your taste buds change every seven years. So maybe something that you used to not like, why don't you try it again? Maybe it won't be so bad.
2: In my family, we have three different diets and uh, we all cook. And to me, that's the best way. Engage your whole family. And uh, you can have sort of a core meal that satisfies everyone. And then you can have several additional side meals and that they're all for different family members. And they all get to cook. That
0: sounds good. And socialize. Right here.
1: Yes. I'm curious. One second. Just
0: one second. One second. right here. Thank you. Do you, is the effect of fiber as good uh, if you're getting it through a smoothie? You take the same amount of spinach, kale, whatever, versus eating it directly.
2: How does that affect the fiber? It, it is, Absolutely. because it's not digestible by our enzymes, so it is. Yeah. Yeah, it's the
1: same. You it's can put it in effect. any
2: in any format you want. I'm, it, yeah. I'm a big fan
1: of that because uh, doing that is a great way to start getting your servings of vegetables for the day and just makes it really easy for your digestive system to use up.
2: Yeah, and I really want to reiterate, if you're not going to do a precision test, then start slow with these fibers because they can cause very, very bad things like lots of gas and bloating, and they can cause SIBO. Read about SIBO. It's not very
1: fun. It doesn't just go away. And if you increase fiber, you need to increase your water intake. Because if you don't, fiber will constipate you.
0: Interesting. Yes? Um, Karen? My question is, does the microbiome affect hormones?
2: There is some literature you can actually read about it, but I, I, I'm not gonna make any conclusion at this point.
1: Yeah, we know that uh, microbiome um, relates to hormone circulation in and out of the body. So for example, when estrogen is conjugated and secreted by the liver and the bile into this, the stool, if you have an over-predominance over-predom- of certain bacteria that have an enzyme called beta-glucuronidase, they can cleave that bond and then release the estrogen and the estrogen recirculates into the body causing, being one of the factors in creating estrogen dominance. Um, I also know that uh, your microbiome is necessary for partially converting thyroid hormone T4 into T3. About 20% of the body's production of T3 is actually coming through enteric, um, enteric circulation and back into the body. The rest is being... Uh, converted in the body. And for those of you who know thyroid, T4 is the main hormone produced by the thyroid, but T3 is the active component of the thyroid hormone. So it's very important uh, when balancing hormone. I just know clinically from seeing my experience with patients that you need to balance the gut microbiome in order to have more balanced hormones.
0: Um, wow, so many questions. Anywhere over there? Um, this is a deep topic.
2: We'll be available at lunchtime and. Okay. Yes. Find so us. An into th- yes.
0: Uh, uh, we have one more little fun presentation after a couple more questions, then lunch, and uh, you'll meet all, all the speakers at lunch. In fact, we should have networking tables. I don't know if we've done that, but we're supposed to. What yes. is the uh, top uh, probiotic you recommend? As a pill, do you mean? Yes, a supplement, I, a supplement? BSL number three was Ooh. recommended to me, and then I re- yeah. found out that it was a stolen patent. That so is a,
1: that's, that's a difficult question to answer, but as a general uh, rule of thumb, a multi-probiotic that has uh, different strains of lactobacillus, bifidobacterium, strep thermophilus, and maybe Saccharomyces boulardia, which is a, a yeast, Yeah, it's a lot. So everything. But but it depends because one thing I didn't mention in my lecture is that uh, we've got about anywhere between 500, maybe up to 2,000 species of bacteria in our gut. So even a probiotic supplement that has 10 different strains, just think about what a small representation that is to what uh, needs to happen in the gut to create balance. Now, that said, I see probiotic supplements help rebalance the gut for people. And there's evidence that some probiotics actually help Im- influence the lineages of other bacteria in the gut. For example, like the spore-based probiotics actually increase uh, the amount of bifido and lacto in the gut. Um, so it's more co- it's, it's kind of complex because it depends on what the underlying issue is So and the strength of the probiotics. So if you have a yeast overgrowth, uh, I have patients that I treat with probiotics that are 225 billion colony-forming units, or CFUs, until we start getting the yeast under control and I start dropping the probiotic. But always remembering that it's not just about probiotic, it's about diet. And the way you ultimately control your microbiome is through your diet, but also through balance, meditation, relaxation, stress management.
0: Yes? You one thing you did or one thing you ate that um, <laughs> transformed missing. your health.
2: Yeah. Yes? Yeah. So do we have three minutes? Yes. yes.
0: yes. Okay.
2: okay. So you can write this down. The molecule is called nu 5 gc N-E-U-5-G-C. So this molecule is a type of a sugar called sialic acid. And it's produced by all mammals except for humans. So we have the ability to consume it from all mammalian products. That's all red meats and all dairy products, right? And we have the ability to absorb it into our body and actually incorporate it on the cell surface of our own cells. Because we used to do that as humans until we lost the ability to produce it about two million years ago. we, I, I, I integrate that molecule into my own cells, and my immune system says, well, wait a minute. This is not your molecule. This is a foreign molecule. And because it's a sugar, the immune response is very weak. And so it takes time for it to, to mount. But basically, my immune system continuously thinks that there is a foreign body in my, in my system. And so it mounts this inflammatory response, and it de- destroys my joints. It destroys my soft tissues, and it destroyed my blood-brain barrier, which is why I had psychological problems or neurological problems, not psychological, I was fine. So, uh, yeah, so, so anything that comes from mammals, right? Mammals are a group of animals that produce milk, right? That lactate. So anything that comes from them, if I consume that, my immune system will increase inflammation and I will have problems, right? So this was diagnosed. So I'm seronegative negative rheumatoid arthritis. An HLA-B27 positive ankylosing spondylitis, and I was diagnosed uh, by doctors as as having an autoimmune disease. That is 100% false, 100%. I do not have autoimmunity at all. As soon as I removed that that molecule from my body, a month later, I felt better. Two months later, I felt great. And a year later, I was completely healed. So there was no autoimmune whatsoever.
0: Molecule was.
2: yeah so the molecule is this new 5gc
0: so, is it red meat is it meat, is it meat?
2: any but red meat any milk
0: example, so. So, so
2: chicken so not chicken sorry pork lamb beef right so when they it's bad so pork for beef and lamb meat. are bad for me right for me now this is this is a genetic defect in 100 percent of all humans, right? So I know that I'm not the only one. I actually I actually met with the professor who di- you know, discovered this mechanism, and he'd, he'd talked to many other people who, you know discovered the same thing about themselves and completely cured themselves. So I know I'm not the only one. I just don't know how common this is. I don't know if 100 million people have increased inflammation due to this, or 5,000 people in the world. I have no idea, but I think it's very common. I just don't have any evidence for it. So all red meat, so when when people say pork is a white meat, no, it's not. It's, it's, well, I mean, red meat is not a scientific term. The scientific term is any product that comes from a mammal. And mammal is very well defined scientifically. You don't have to guess. Like, chickens are not mammals. They do not, you cannot milk a chicken, right? (laughs) Fish are not mammals. If you cannot milk it, it's not a mammal. So yeah, I, go to, I, I used to go to restaurants and say, I cannot eat anything mammalian. They're like, so you can't have chicken? No, you cannot milk chicken.
0: That's a great, great use of the three minutes. One more question and we are.
2: I just want to say, so for your own research, if you just Google new 5GC and then a term such as inflammation or cancer. So this is one of the main studies that drove WHO to name red meat a carcinogen. Right? So the cat's out of the bag, but of course there are many people who do not want this to be known, right? But but look at look at the 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 paper, the seminal paper was published in late 2014 that this molecule drives immunity, which drives inflammation and drives cancer. So look it up. It's pretty cool. Thank you.
0: One more question, Laura.
1: Have you known about it? Mine's mine's more of a comment, but a few years ago, I went through a lot of chronic stress and developed diverticulitis. Louder. And so what happened was I went on, of course, you know, a path of self-healing. But I, there was this one place I couldn't get rid of inflammation in my left side of my colon. So I did the Viome test. And in four days after avoiding the foods, which, by the way, every morning I was having a smoothie with green apple juice. I'm allergic to green apples. That was a void red peppers yellow peppers all the things i was eating 4 days after i stopped that pa- that the inflammation went away and it's been 6 months wow so i just wanted to say that wow. to everyone
2: thank you you go. know it's so true thank you all